Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Here's hoping that your Thanksgiving was fabulously delicious. I hope that your feast was a great success and that you felt like a culinary hero. As we continue on in this holiday season, I have lots of delicious inspiration for everything for the upcoming holidays, whether it be Christmas or Hanukkah or even Kwanzaa. If you are celebrating in style, then you might have heard it here first. This is your culinary culture and lifestyle show that celebrates food and wine and travel and all things scrumptious. It's a place I like to say for people who love to cook and love to eat. So if you have a passionate palate, then please stay tuned as a delicious hour of conversation starts right here and right now. We are embarking on a multitude of topics and I will keep you updated on the food scene around the world. I like to take a deep exploration of a broad range of culinary topics. So stay tuned because you just might learn something and set your culinary sights higher. You can find recipes galore and much more inspiration as well posted on my website at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com, along with through social media sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Lots more culinary sanity, as I like to say. So as we embark on the further holidays of 2014, I didn't want you to forget about something really important, and that is brunch. I love brunch. Don't you love brunch? There's something beautiful about a midday meal. It's not breakfast or lunch, but it gives you an opportunity to cook your favorite morning dishes. Or you could go the more savory side of things, of course. And it's a wonderful way to invite friends and family to gather together. It never ends up being a late night, which I think is fabulous. And at the same time, it's a cost-effective way to throw a party. I think brunch makes weekend mornings fabulous. So whether you're preparing a let's say, a special meal for the kids or you're hosting a big event for your friends, I have brunch recipes that will make your menu a hit. Now, let's say you want to choose from sweet pancakes or savory breakfast sandwiches or you make a hearty egg casserole that's super easy. I'm all for it. But I wanted to expand your brunch horizons today and help you think outside the box. So I came up with my top 10 list of the best brunch ideas that will wow a crowd. I'll start with a traditional twist, I would say, but a truly indulgent one on French toast. So there is nothing better than the combination of sweet and salty in my book. And as you know, from listening to the show, I believe everything is better with bacon and butter, by the way, and all things in moderation, of course. But I've had Nutella on the brain ever since I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, a quick Nutella mousse, just two ingredients, in fact, that made this very quick and easy 
simple but spectacular dessert. And by the way, that recipe is posted on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen. But why not mix Nutella and bacon? Fry up some maple or applewood smoked bacon, something with lots of smoky, rustic flavor, and then crumble it up and mix it into a good heaping amount of Nutella. Then buy a fresh sourdough or French bread and slice it thick, cut a pocket horizontally, and stuff in that Nutella bacon mixture. Then custard soak and pan fry or bake away, and you have a Nutella and bacon stuffed French toast that is impossible not to love. Now, staying on the French toast topic, number two on my best brunch recipes is a s'more stuffed French toast. Because if you serve it for breakfast, I guarantee you will be back for some more before lunchtime. Everybody loves the chocolate and marshmallow mix. And after you custard coat or soak your bread, be sure to coat it in a thin or light dusting of graham cracker crumbs. That way you get the whole combination of s'mores in every bite. Now, I love a baked egg. And in fact, every year come the holiday season, I like to host a brunch where I do um, baked eggs in prosciutto cups. You actually line a muffin pan with prosciutto or ham slices. And then I like to saute some mushrooms or caramelize some red onions or even make some beautiful buttered leeks. I'll spoon those into the bottom of the egg cup or the ham cup, and then I'll break an egg on top and bake them. And you can make them in advance. And they're a brilliant brunch recipe, but they didn't make my top 10 because I have a new baked egg boat. Yes. Why bother making a quiche, albeit wonderful, when you can buy individual small sourdough or French baguettes, just the single serving kind, and cut a a pocket essentially from the top and through the center, and then beat a bunch of beautiful fresh eggs, mix in your favorite toppings, and pour the beaten eggs into the bread boats, and then bake them off. You get a baked egg boat that is so delicious with the crusty bread and the fluffy eggs, and you can make them in advance. It's almost like an egg sandwich on steroids. Pretty fabulous, actually. Now, on my best brunch recipe list, of course, I had to use my waffle iron. And if you didn't know, you can make great hash browns in your waffle iron. So bring out that appliance and utilize it to its fullest potential. And after the hash browns come out of the waffle iron, throw on, let's say, a couple fried eggs and some shredded Gruyere cheese, and you have a new breakfast sandwich. I love the Latin inspiration when it comes to breakfast as well. I'm all about chilaquiles. I love to take tortilla chips and mix them in, the fried version, yes, into scrambled eggs on top of the stove because you get this really indulgent, luscious, delicious mix. A little bit of red sauce or salsa adds to the mix. But why not make pancake breakfast tacos. So you scramble some eggs. You can make traditional pancakes in place of the tortillas and then put out all of your favorite toppings and you essentially have a pancake taco. It's pretty fun, right? Here's another spin on one of our favorite lunch favorites, but transformed to a brunch idea. Make your favorite or best grilled cheese and then fry an egg on top and you have a twist on a croque mesure. Uh, What about making breakfast nachos? 
That obviously calls for a Bloody Mary bar, by the way. And breakfast nachos are everything you love about traditional nachos with scrambled eggs thrown in. I love the idea of uh, pancakes that are just over-the-top delicious as well. So start with an innocent pancake and throw in some really fabulous stuff like Take your favorite Oreo cookies and throw those chopped into a pancake. Uh, And no doubt for your kids, you will be a culinary hero. So they're all savory uh, or some of them sweet and all of them a little bit funky. But you might as well start the day with a bang, right? I've posted some delicious brunch ideas and amazing recipes at chefjamie.com. So I hope that you'll check it out. I've also featured on the website under my Think Like a Chef topic, a Bloody Mary bar, because every breakfast or brunch during the holiday season deserves a toast. And so why not set out a Bloody Mary bar? Everything you need for the ultimate Bloody Mary, in fact, a crucial staple, I think, for daytime entertaining is posted in my laundry list of offerings. So I've covered the bases the liquid that you add to it, and then all the flavor enhancers and garnishes you can think of to make the ultimate Bloody Mary bar. And then, of course, if you choose not to serve a Bloody Mary, why not pour, uh, let's say, peach bellinis or mimosas with freshly squeezed blood orange juice as we definitely embrace the end of citrus season this winter, uh, especially here in Southern California where I live. Or you could always buy a Spanish cava, an inexpensive bubbly from Spain, and you could just very simply pour one drink or cocktail all throughout brunch. If you're French toast fanatic, you'll find a bunch of French toast recipes on my site, along with the weekly dish, which is a Tuscan frittata. I love frittatas. It's so protein-filled. My husband loves them too. And so you can be as creative as you wish when it comes to the vegetables. I've posted a suggestion for the best chock-full frittata, once again, at chefjamie.com, so don't miss it. And my first holiday gift to you is a sweet cherry and pistachio biscotti. Next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about the best gifts of food for the holiday season. And so I'm starting you off with a wonderful sweet to go along not only with your morning coffee, but with maybe a small glass of Sambuca after dessert. But don't touch your dial and don't leave your radio because there is so much delicious conversation upcoming. She is the extraordinary donut diva out of Los Angeles. Pastry chef Mariah Swan of BLD is sharing her secret recipe for one of the best things I've ever eaten. Trust me, you are going to want to make these donuts. Plus, Cindy Sexton is stopping by. She has delicious ideas for holiday meals that are perfectly paleo. Plus, Annie Fitzsimmons is taking us on a journey. She is National Geographic's travel advisor, and she has travel tips and highlights for the world's best cities. Stay tuned. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away.
It's delicious, it's divine, it's food and wine, and oh, of course, then there's donuts. Chef Jamie Gwen, welcome back in your radio. Donut lovers, rejoice. You will want to hear this conversation. Pastry chef Mariah Swan is the genius behind BLD's outrageously delicious donuts, BLD being LA's breakfast, lunch, and dinner hotspot restaurant, and she's here to share a few secrets. Mariah discovered her passion for baking, interestingly enough, while at UC Berkeley, and instead of poring over novels and working on her senior thesis, Mariah was busy watching Baking with Julia and Dessert Circus on the local PBS station. Well, after graduating cum laude from Berkeley, Mariah enrolled in culinary school, and when she joined the Neil Fraser restaurant team, well, she became enamored with donuts, and the country became enamored with her. Over the years, she has developed her own style of the fried treat, moving beyond the oversized donut you typically see in the donut shops across the country. And her unique flavors and combinations make it almost guilt-free when you eat about eight of them. (laughs) Her Wednesday night donut shop and National Donut Day menus at BLD and the late Grace have planted the seed for her forthcoming ICDC, the Ice Cream, Donuts, and Coffee restaurant, which is set to open in January, a shop I will definitely be visiting. And Mariah, Mariah is here to offer and share the sweeter side. And I'm so glad to have you, Mariah. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be talking with you. Oh, good. I'm glad to be talking with you too. Okay, let's start at the beginning. You're all about seasonality and purity of flavor. I know that about you. So it's December. Well, at least tomorrow is. And um, we're post-Thanksgiving and pre-Christmas. And I'd love to know what you're baking, what you're cooking now. It's kind of that weird intermediary time. But winter to me screams citrus. And it's still definitely a squash season. So those are the two things that I really like to work with at this time. That and then spice. Because it is cold. And that's when I think spices really are, are... so interesting to work with and play with. And when it comes to squash, it's the savory side. Do you take it to the sweeter angle? Definitely. I I will roast it to get those sugars in the squash really caramelized and to get a great flavor out of them. And Mm -hmm. then I pair it with honey and nutmeg and those sort of flavor profiles. And I also like it. I like it with orange a lot as well. Oh, nice combination. Is there an ice cream in our future that uh, combines the two? I think that's something you might see. Yes, most probably. Um, Okay. um, Donuts, safe to say, are your obsession? I I do have a definite uh, uh, like for donuts. And yes, I, I didn't intend on it being that, but it seems to be where my talents lie. Yes, and I have an addiction for yours all over the internet. Everyone talks about caramel pecan heaven, and there's something ethereal about your donuts, but I'd like if you would please start by discussing the different styles because your donut is different. Typically what you're going to find are two different kinds generally in in donut shops. You're going to find your yeast-raised donut and then a cake donut. There's other ones. People talk about the cronut a lot, and then there's a cruller, but those are the two basic types. And the, the cake donut is going to be uh, crustier and denser in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then your yeast one is, is lighter, fluffier, I would say, the kind you see at Krispy Kreme and Winchell's. I do a yeast raised. It's not your typical uh, donut dough, however. So it, it has a really nice crunch on the outside and is definitely tender on the inside. It, it's a really good cross between the two. Okay, so with the Great Food Arts magazine, you shared... 
what I believe is close to your salted caramel donut recipe, and I found it. So I've taken the liberty, I hope you don't mind, to share the gospel and have posted it at chefjamie.com. Can you talk us through it? I mean, what is the the best preparation for donut making at home? How close can we get to your absolutely, it's the most delicious donut I think I've ever had. I, it, it's the most extraordinarily amazing donut you can imagine. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Uh, truly well, great compliment. I think, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I think the first thing um, and, and to remember is that practice makes perfect. So do it a lot. Make it a lot. Um, I've been making these for 10 years now, so there's a lot of time in there that you're tasting. Um, and then the other thing, too, is my secret, and I'm a little nervous about sharing it, but I don't mind, is that I only rise my dough once. I don't do the typical double rise on a yeast dough. So um, when you go to fry those donuts, they're going to have more, that yeast is going to have some more kick in it. So you're going to get a lot more lift than you normally would in a double raised donut. Oh, well, I won't tell anybody, Mariah, I promise. Thank you for (laughs) divulging the secrets. That's what creates your crisp exterior and the puff, right? But it has this dichotomy of textures where you get the crunchy outside. And by the way, I love that they're small. One, you can eat more of them. And two, you get a better ratio, I think, of the crispy crunch and then the pillowy center. And there's something beautiful almost about the yeast flavor of it too. You bring out much more of that wonderful, rich yeastiness than one is used to in a traditional donut. I would say another good tip, and this is going to be challenging for people who make stuff at home, is that I use fresh yeast. And that's a big difference from your active dry, um, as far as flavor goes. You are definitely going to get a yeastier flavor. So if you can hunt it down or find it, mm-hmm. definitely do so. It's going to make a difference. Okay, so we now know fresh yeast, another secret. And if you've just tuned in, you're late because pastry chef Mariah Swan is here of BLD fame in Los Angeles and the soon-to-open um, ice cream, donuts, and coffee, ICDC, which we are all here in Southern California greatly anticipating. Um, no matter where you live, worth a trip, let me tell you. Uh, leave us with this. Um, tips from um, from a rising star or uh, risen to the top pastry chef. Um, you have a thing for salt. And in previous conversations, you and I having discussed the fact that you put salt in everything, maybe more so than just the typical chef's tip that all sweet needs a little bit of salt, right? Right, I do. I I believe salt is just as important as vanilla extract and everything else when it comes to baking. And one of the things I've taught people how to make caramel, we've done donut classes, and in caramel, it's very important. If you taste that caramel without salt in it, it is going to be flat. It's just going to be sweet in your mouth. The minute you start adding salt to that, it's going to bring flavors alive that you didn't know were there. Hmm. Salt is so important for your palate to uh, taste everything that's going on. Okay, so you learned it here uh, from the best of the best. She is pastry chef Mariah Swan, and you can find her stirring up some milkshake madness 
creating the most extraordinary donuts you might ever taste, uh, and so many more scrumptious sweets at BLD, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, is what they serve in Los Angeles on Beverly Boulevard. Whether you live locally or you're traveling this holiday season, do not miss a meal and especially dessert at BLD. And watch for the opening of ICDC. It's the new donut and ice cream shop soon to open uh, at the hands of Mariah Swan, pastry chef. Mariah, I really appreciate you sharing your secrets and I thank you uh, for all of your passion. Well, thank you and have a wonderful holiday season. Now, thank you and the same to you. You can learn more at bldrestaurant.com and find more about Mariah's truly sweet surprises on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in the ongoing conversation under BLD Beverly and the soon-to-arrive ICDC Beverly. You heard it here first. With the goal of making you a better cook in your own kitchen, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'll be right back. We're all about feeding your soul on this show and traveling the world for fabulous food. One of my favorite things to do. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. From Tokyo to Vatican City to all of the extraordinary foodie cities across the country, the 21st century has been heralded as the century of the city, in fact, For the first time ever, the majority of people are living in urban areas, and there is this beautiful, lavish tribute to cosmopolitan life that National Geographic Travel has just released. It is a gorgeous coffee table book that I have been loving reading and truly dreaming of wonderful adventures from. The book is called World's Best Cities, and it celebrates 220 great destinations, delving into the heart and soul of cities around the globe. So where to visit next? Well, the best person to ask, Annie Fitzsimmons. She is National Geographic's Travel's Urban Insider, and she is here to dish. I'm glad to have you, Annie. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. You had some chef contributors to this beautiful book. I love that. So feel free to uh, to drop in any uh, food fan, you know, sort of cities across the country or favorites um, and around the world specifically. But should we start with Tokyo? I had no idea there were 3,653 sushi specialized restaurants. That's fabulous. I didn't either, actually. I mean, I know it's such a part of the culture there. Um, and of course, you know, I always talk about how L.A. is my favorite city for eating, and all the sushi there is so amazing. And, of course, they fly in a lot of the fish from Tokyo. Um, so there's that, that crossover there. Yeah, Tokyo is an incredibly beautiful city, and they have really, from the very beginning, have made sushi eating commonplace yes. all around the world. It's, I think, extraordinary to see how the Asian influence in the culinary world is starting to permeate into all the states across the country, but I loved looking at the street fair in Shanghai, as long as we're staying on the Asian side. Um, That is a a beautiful city, and 
it's, I think, interesting how many um, sort of quirky different styles they take on. Absolutely. I love Shanghai. I think that it's, you really, you feel like you're in modern Asia, but then there's also streets where you go and you feel like you're in 1920s Paris. Mm. I think there's just a lot of contradictions there and in the food. Um, yeah, I also traveled uh, a couple of years ago to the Yunnan province of China. And, you know, recently in the past couple of years, a Yunnan uh, restaurant opened here in New York so called Yunnan Kitchen. So there's a lot of crossover. I think there's a real trend to you know, the globalization of food, that, you know, Asian food, you can find great Asian food in most places. You can find great Mexican food in a lot of places, not necessarily New York, where I live, but, um, (laughs) you know, you can find great, you know, cuisine in so many cities around the world now, and it's really exciting. You have this wonderful luxury of traveling the world, so take us with you on your travels, please. Tell us what it's like to be in Urban Insider, and and how all of your experiences compiled together to represent National Geographic travel and to cite the best cities, please. I am the Urban Insider, which is a lot of pressure. You actually have to be an insider, kind (laughs) of. Um, um, But yeah, I've always been obsessed with cities, travel, and media, and so this is kind of the perfect job. We basically created something at National Geographic that didn't exist before, something that really concentrates on urban culture, hotels, restaurants, all of these things that we really love about cities. Um, for me, I just got back from Ireland and the Galapagos, which mm. is not exactly an, an urban destination, but I'm about to take off for five weeks in Europe. So I'll be in um, London, Berlin, Portugal, um, Cannes, kind of all over Europe, which is really exciting. Um, but basically, yeah, I, I, I want to find the pulse of what's happening in every city, and I want to really connect with people, because in the end... You don't remember those big iconic sites and waiting in line for an hour, for example, to go on the London Eye, as much as you remember the hilarious person that you met at the pub. You know, so that's really what I'm searching for when I'm traveling. And I think that you are no doubt on the cutting edge of the trend of travel. We're seeing when, let's say, foodies go to visit other countries, there are wonderful ways on the internet to sit down at someone's dinner table in their home and really experience the culture. There's the beauty of saturating yourself in a city and experiencing their day-to-day life, like you said, without maybe too many museum visits. But I wonder what you can tell us as far as this wonderlust for city experiences. Why are people calling cities their homes? And why is it that we want to go and and see how the rest of the world lives? I think cities are just, they're so exciting. And you Mm. can be as anonymous or as public as you want. You know, you can be alone if you want to be, but you're, excuse me, never lonely. And I think that's really why people are attracted to cities. And and there's more opportunity, you know. The pro- the great problems of the world that we face right now, they're going to be solved in cities because they're going to be tested in cities first. And there's also, you know, the past 10 years, just looking at places like the High Line in New York, the reclaiming of dilapidated structures for public parks, the miles of new bike paths in city ar- cities around the world and shared bike programs. Mm. There's all of these things that are being poured into cities. And, and you know, these, this is mostly you know, the northern hemisphere that I'm talking about um, and, and Australia. But then there's also these South American cities that are just kind of at the cusp of um, becoming great destinations. And they're sort of switching and they're becoming these, these places that are really attractive to travelers, even places like Lima, Peru, where, where you wouldn't really go 15 years ago, now has an incredible food scene hmm. um, and is just is, 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 is safe for travelers when it maybe not, wasn't before. So I think there's 
all of these exciting things really happening. And smaller cities, you know, B-list cities, for example, in America, Asheville, Nashville, Louisville, Kentucky, they're becoming world-class destinations because of the food. You know, I'm sure you've talked about this a lot, the big city chefs leaving New York and L.A. Yes. And maybe going home and wanting mm-hmm. to raise their families in, in quieter places. Yeah, because there's nothing better really than... shifting. And yes. There's nothing better than food on a farm, yeah. Annie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. true. Annie, if you'll pause right there, we'll continue to tour the world with National Geographic's Best Cities right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Dishing with Annie Fitzsimmons of National Geographic. Um, go back to South America, if you would, um, because I'm very taken with the food and wine scene in South America. We're seeing, um, I speak a lot about um, Argentinian and Chilean wines on this program. Um, we drink a lot of Malbec in my home, um, but Argentina, um, Brazil, all these wonderful cities that have not only fabulous food, but they have culture, they have music, they have dance, they have really wonderful experiences to offer. They do. Buenos Aires, for example, we talk about this in the book about how it's you know one of the best places in the world to get a custom leather jacket. Oh, there we go. Fantastic steak. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a very good combination. Um, yes, yes. I, I, I'm wearing my Buenos Aires leather jacket right now, actually. That oh, I, I got there. I um, love it. So, and I think it's a city, for example, uh, in South America. You, they should have exclamation points at the end because they're such joyful cities, like mm. you talked about. You know, they mm. really are and you you know I, at home I go to bed at 10:30 and Buenos Aires or in Santiago I'm out till 4 because that's what people are doing so and it's really you get to access different parts of your personality and and that's what's so beautiful about travel is there's a freedom to it not only a freedom to see the world and and the luxury that we have to travel um, but you can travel higher low on the spectrum you can travel um, within a budget or you can you know go full force, all luxury, but you do get to live the life of those, you know, that habitate where you're going. And it it is a wonderful way to let your spirit free. Um, Leave us with this because I can't wait to visit all of the cities in the book. Your favorite city ever. I know that's like picking a favorite child, um, but if we were to go one place, you can pick two. (laughs) If we were to plan a trip of one of two places uh, for the holiday season, let's say, just pick up and go, where should we go? Berlin, Germany. Okay. I think is the coolest city in Europe, if not the world right now. Wow. Um, I can't even tell you the energy there is unbelievable. And speaking of, you know, traveling... Um, and it being expensive, Berlin is actually really cheap. Hmm. Uh, you can stay in five-star hotels for, you know, they would cost a thousand, twelve hundred dollars a night in Paris or London, but in Berlin they're much cheaper. Um, and then I just I love the cities in Switzerland, especially at the holidays. You know, Zurich, Geneva, Bern. There's just such a high quality of life, and you go there and you can't believe how easy it is to get around, and you know the great access to to nature. So those would be sort of my my two destinations that I really, really love, aside from New York City. And always calling your home city a favorite. I love that. Um, Thank you for sharing great advice. The book is truly beautiful. And for anyone who loves to travel or dream of travel, um, this is how you can 
plan your vacation list for years to come. Annie, congratulations on a beautiful book, and thank you for sharing your uh, travel passion. I hope to see you in a city far off sometime soon. I would love that. Thank we'll you. We'll get a glass of Malbec. Oh, I would like that. Time. There we go. Okay, <laughs> now you're speaking my language. Thank you so much, Annie. She is the Cosmopolitan Culture Connection, Annie Fitzsimmons, for National Geographic Travel. There's more delicious conversation here and there and everywhere right here in your radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's a winter wonderland, and I'm spicing up your life every Sunday. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. So paleo has gone mainstream, not only as a hugely popular diet, but also as a lifestyle that has spawned a fast-growing industry. But for some, sticking with a paleo diet may seem daunting. Well, Canadian-born and... Uh, I will say a paleo addicted, Cindy Sexton, is the creator of paleodish.com, what started as a blog and has become an extraordinarily well-loved website. And she believes that cooking paleo meals and snacks can be a breeze to do and often done with just five ingredients or less. So in order to save time, money, and energy in the kitchen, because her less is more mentality is no doubt inspiring to all of us, she has just released her first cookbook. It's called Paleo Takes Five or Fewer, and healthy eating has never been easier and more delicious if you are a paleo lover. Cindy is here to dish, and I'm delighted to have you, Cindy. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. Thank you so much. Yes, of course. It's wonderful to be here. For those that need a quick reminder, what do you not eat in your caveman style diet? Well, I like to focus on the foods we can eat. Okay, what do you eat? (laughs) What? Yes, so primarily um, meat, fish, seafood, nuts, seeds, vegetables, and fruit. Okay. So those are the, the primary food so that we focus on. You're flour free, you're sugar free, although there are so many extraordinary substitutes today. Exactly. Nat- more natural substitutes, yeah. Yes, and you're very naturally focused. Exactly. Okay, so yes. with that said, with that definition of paleo, I think it's important to point out that you don't have to categorize yourself with a label or otherwise as paleo if you choose to eat better, I would say in that style. So I think your cookbook is for more than just paleo people. I think your cookbook is for busy moms and business people and fabulous foodies and dedicated cooks who want to make zesty lime sriracha chicken wings for football today with just five ingredients or less. Yes, exactly. And I love that you mentioned that because I have friends and family who have already bought the book and have started making recipes from the book who are not 
paleo at all, but it's really for people who love eating great food. And the idea that you don't require that many ingredients makes the foods and the flavors really shine through on their own. So it's a minimalist cookbook, but the flavor is not compromised. So that's what I think makes it so interesting. Being Toronto-based and Canadian-born, tell us where you're eating now, because we're all about food and lifestyle and travel on this show, and I will travel to eat. Okay, well, two of our favorite restaurants, and you're welcome anytime. Well, thank you. In Toronto are downtown Rodney's Oyster House. It's all fresh seafood, fresh oysters, lobster, crab, you name it. Oh, love it. So Rodney's Oyster House downtown on King Street in Toronto. And then we love a little restaurant that's actually a Lebanese restaurant um, just down the street from us in Leslieville, and it's called Tabbouleh. And it's all really, really fresh ingredients and unbelievable dishes that are full of flavor as well. Rodney's Oyster House and Tabbouleh would probably be our top two Hmm. places right now. Thank you for sharing. I always love to get tips from foodies all around the world. And once again, um, a terrific cookbook. Proving that eating well doesn't have to be truly complicated. Um, This book is proof you don't need a lengthy list of ingredients to create recipes that are satisfying and wonderfully healthful, especially if you do eat paleo. The book is called Paleo Takes Five or Fewer. It was written by Cindy Sexton and it is available now. You'll find an excerpted recipe at chefjamie.com. So check it out. Um, Cindy, continue delicious dishes to you. Thanks again for the time and the passion. Thanks so much for having me on, Jamie. I appreciate it. So that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation on this Sunday post Thanksgiving. I'd like to leave you with my last bite or my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation and information. And we're coming to the fourth day post tea day and you need to use up those leftovers right about now, right? Well, I say let no dish go unsalvaged because a meal is a terrible thing to waste, right? What to do with those green beans or those leftover rolls? Well, my last few tips on how to use everything up. If you have cranberry sauce left over in the fridge, wake up tomorrow morning, swirl it into yogurt, and you'll be reminiscent of the delicious holiday that I hope was celebrated uh, with really fabulous food and fine friends in your home. If you have leftover rolls or bread from the Thanksgiving feast, you can always let them dry out a bit at room temperature and then grind them for breadcrumbs. You can use those for chicken parm later in the week or in the weeks to come, in fact. Let's say you have green beans left. Well, chop them up and throw them into your salad tonight. Use up all those veggies. Make a great big kitchen sink salad to please all of those palates. And then last but not least, if you have pretty much anything else left from your big turkey dinner, shred the turkey, chop up the veggies, throw in a little gravy, and make the best fried rice you've ever had. That's what I consider a grand post-Thanksgiving meal. I hope you'll continue to tune in. Oh, that made me hungry. I'm stumbling on my words. I hope that you'll continue to tune in every Sunday as I dive into the culinary world and introduce you to top chefs and master sommeliers, baking experts, 
and so many other of my comrades and friends. You will learn expert techniques and regional cooking and I hope gather cooking tools that you can share to make uh, yourself a better cook in your own kitchen or maybe just a better eater. I cover it all. It's eating and drinking like you've never done before. So tune in next Sunday for more delicious conversation and check out chefjamie.com for lots of inspiration. Plus on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I'd love to share fabulous food with you. You'll find me at Chef Jamie Gwen. Until next Sunday, thank you for listening. I'm signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. Bye.